1 Timothy chapter 4. Got a short class this morning. Jeff and Larry's faults for announcements. Long announcements, that's right. Got to blame somebody. All right. Last week we finished up chapter 3. We, we finished up talking about the gospel system. Uh, there in the last verse, verse 16, uh, talking about all the things that God had used uh, for Jesus uh, to present him unto us, and ultimately that's the gospel system. So we're going to open up chapter 4, and he's going to uh, change gears somewhat, and he's going to warn of a coming apostasy. You know, the church had only been in existence some 30 years or so at this point uh, in, in history, and Things had been rolling along pretty well, but just like everything you do in the world, after a period of time, there's going to be changes. There's going to be things that's going to happen and things that you're going to have to deal with, and, and that's what Paul goes into in talking to Timothy. Remember, the whole purpose of the book of 1 Timothy is he's writing these things so he knows and the people know how to behave themselves in the church, how to handle whatever comes their way and most definitely, this is something we're about to talk about that needs to be talked about that they will learn to handle these problems. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is, be, is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now the Spirit expressly says, Paul said that because he wants these people to know that that this is not something that he's throwing out, hey, this is what I think is going to happen. This is what I feel that, that in the future we're going to have to deal with. He says, no, the Spirit expressly says this. The Spirit explicitly, plainly is revealing unto us so that we can know what's coming our way. And I want to ask you, if you know what's coming your way, is it better for you or worse? In a lot of ways it's better, right? If you know what to expect, you can prepare yourselves for what's coming. Maybe you can get some sort of game plan into place or, or whatever it may be, but he's warning them, remember, I'm telling you these things so you know how to act in the church. I'm telling you, down the line, in latter times, latter times is just means simply somewhere down the line, this thing is going to happen. In fact, in, in the Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul told the brethren there that this thing was already at work. It was already at work. This thing didn't start small, or it didn't start in a, in a massive way, and just all of a sudden you've got all of this chaos and error and all of that. This thing started very small. Problems in the church, departure from the truth, starts usually with a single idea, perhaps of a single person. You ever considered that? We've got all of these people here today. One of you can come up with a wild idea and you can begin to spread that idea and what's going to happen? There's going to be some people listening to you, aren't they? And maybe if they listen to you and they believe that idea and they continue to spread that idea, what happens? More people, more people, more people. 
But you know there's hope in this verse? Look at chapter 4, verse 1 again. The Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times, some. I drew a box around some in my Bible. You know why? That gives me hope. You know, as we look back at the history of the church, sometimes as we look back at the history, it almost seems as the church just faded away, right? It almost seems sometimes that the church ceased to exist. And and maybe we think that's what happened. Maybe we think during the restoration movement when, when men decided they wanted to go back to the Bible, maybe we think that they had to do that because the church was completely gone. That's never been the case. You realize that? The Bible says, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, God created a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will never go out of existence. There's always been some. You realize all through the history of religion, God has always retained some, and the Bible calls that a remnant. A remnant. You know, and Elijah was in the cave, and he felt like he was the only person left on the face of the earth that cared anything about God. He says, no, I've got a remnant. I've got a remnant of people that's reserved. God has always had a remnant of people reserved unto him. Now, the church endured all of these things, and maybe the church a lot of times had to go into hiding, and the book of Revelation even talks about that. In Revelation chapter 12, where the Bible talks about that, that Satan was fighting against Jesus and all of this fight happened when Jesus overcame death. It was what was prophesied in Genesis 3 verse 15. That's the battle that's being talked about and, and the Bible says but Satan was defeated, right? He fought. But when Jesus overcame death, well, that's the victory, right? That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, death, where's that sting? Oh, grave, where's that victory? He, he beat it. He won. Well, since Satan had no more place and, and no more chance to win, what did he do? Revelation chapter 12, he went after the woman. He went after the church. That's what the woman is. And the Bible says the woman went into the wilderness and hid. But God was with her. And every time Satan issued something, Revelation 12 says the earth would open its mouth and swallow up whatever Satan issued toward the woman. In other words, she never ceased to exist. Church never went out of existence. Get that. That one little word, some there, some's going to depart, but some's going to stay. Some's going to stay. And that always gives us hope. Some are going to depart from the faith. Depart from the faith simply means to turn from the truth. If you depart from the faith, the faith is the gospel system. Remember verse 16 in the previous chapter? That's where we, we ended up last week explaining the gospel system. Some people's going to depart from that. Some people's going to not believe that, that God was manifested in the flesh. Some people's not going to believe that, that the Spirit worked through Him. Some people's not going to believe that, about Him being seen of angels or, or the gospel preached among the gentiles. Some people's going to dismiss that and they're going to come up with different ideas. Some people are going to turn to a different gospel. Isn't that what Paul told the Galatian brethren? Galatians 1 verse 6. He said, but it's not another gospel. It's a, per, it's a perversion. It's a perversion. He says, though we are an angel under heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have heard. He says, let him be accursed. There's only one. And he says, sometimes people turn from that faith. They turn from that gospel system. You know, Paul even warned in 2 Timothy chapter 2, same thing was going to happen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 16 and 18. He says, 
but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Realize that? Again, how does all of this start? One idea with one person, and it begins to spread. He said these things spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. This is exactly what he was warning was going to happen in 1 Timothy chapter 4. By the time you get to 2 Timothy, it's happened. It's happened. And man, these people are dreaming up all of these things, and people are following them. And it's something that we've got to be wary of even today. He says these people give heed to deceiving spirits. Or the King James says seducing spirits. What's a seducing spirit? 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says test the spirits to see whether they're of God, right? Test the spirits. How many people today, I don't know if anybody can answer this, how many people today do you think are standing this morning preaching a message and saying the Spirit revealed that message unto them? If you really had to think about it, how many people you think is doing that? Multitudes, right? And they all say that the Spirit revealed it unto him. And my question is, is the Spirit divided because he's teaching you everything under the sun? Can't be the case, can it? Can't be the case. That's why the Spirit works through the Word of God. If the Spirit worked through speaking to all these different people, all of these different things, then the Spirit is divided. But the Spirit is one. The Spirit is unified. God is one. So therefore, when God revealed His completed Word, that's it, right? You don't get any other revelation. You don't get anything else. If everybody has the Word, everybody is on equal footing. So you see these seducing spirits, well, that still happens today. They claim. They claim the Spirit worked on them. And, and man, you can get on YouTube and you can watch these religious people that's claiming the Spirit has overtaken them and and they're rolling around in the floor. You don't see that in the Bible. That's seducing spirits. It's strong delusions that Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Strong delusions. He says not only is it the deceiving spirits, but it's doctrines of demons. Man, I did a lot of reading on this, and we don't have time to go into all of it, but there's a lot of different ideas when it comes to this. You know, a lot of people believe that, that demons were actually teaching different things to people during the first century. And Don did a great job last week talking about demons. His Sunday morning sermon was about demons. and did that because of Halloween and, and what the Bible tells us. And you know, nowhere in the Bible does it tell a demon ever taught anything. Can't find that. The demons knew who Jesus was. They knew what His purpose was. And, and they would inhibit a body, but they would do that to torment that body. Do I think demons were going around teaching doctrines to different people? I, I, I don't know. I don't think so. And some people believe that this was doctrines about demons that people were teaching and were drawing people away. Could that be possible? That could be possible. You know, demon possession, again, that was a big thing in the first century. So uh, could there have been a lot of error spread when it comes to that and, and a lot of different false ideas? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I read that it made a lot of sense to me, though, was that during this time period, people believed that a lot of these spirits, and some of them were, were demonic and some of them were good, were simply um, 
ghost, if you will, of people that had passed on. And you realize there was a lot of religious people that would look to these so-called spirits that had passed on and they would intermingle them in with their worship. You realize that still happens today? We've got one of the biggest religions in the world today that prays to saints that have long since passed. That's not biblical. That's doctrines of things that, that's, that's not in the Bible. It's not true. But you see, all of these things were intermingled in and, and people were seduced. They were pulled away by those things. He says, these people spoke lies in hypocrisy. Spoke lies with hypocrisy. You know, they knew better. They knew better. You know, sometimes there's people, I really believe this, that they stand up and they try to teach what's right and they ultimately don't know any better. But a lot of times there's people that could know better if they wanted to, refuse to, and therefore they just stand up and speak what they want to speak, how they feel that it needs to be, and it really doesn't matter what it says. And they do so with hypocrisy. You know, the Bible tells us, Romans chapter 16, verse 17, we're to note those people. We're to note them. We're to, to call them out and make sure that other Christians know, hey, don't listen to what this guy says, what this lady says, whatever it may be. Because what they're teaching is not true. It's not true. Why would, why would Paul want us to note people like that? Well, because he knows that people are going to be carried away with what they teach. And we want to warn each other, don't buy into it. Don't fall for the trap. He says, these people, they speak lies in hypocrisy. They have their conscience seared with a hot iron. You realize your conscience has to be seared in order to teach lies. Think about that. Within each one of us, there is a moral compass. God has placed it there. Ultimately, the Bible teaches that, that creation shows us that there is a God. And, and people that don't even believe in God, they know the difference between right and wrong. And, and some people say that's what separates us from the animals, right? It is that morality that is within us. You know, a mother knows not to, to kill her child. An animal sometimes will eat their own offspring. A mother knows not to do that, and God has instilled that within us. So in order for somebody to just completely teach a blatant lie, their conscience has to be seared. Their conscience has to be hardened. And you know, that is something that's very dangerous. It's something that's, that's very dangerous. It's something that can happen to each one of us our conscience can get to the point to where nothing we does bothers us anymore. And that's a scary thing. We become desensitized to everything around us, and before long we don't even notice all of these sinful things, and, and sometimes we buy into the garbage then. Don't ever let your conscience be seared. I want to finish these five verses, so I'm going to move on. You can write down Ephesians chapter 4, 18 and 19, and read it and go along with that. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 15. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 12. Those people there, they didn't even blush when they sinned. Their conscience was seared. They had gotten to that point. All right, these people that are being deceived, these people that are teaching all of these lies, all of these things, verse 3, these people are forbidding to marry. One of the things that they do was forbidding to marry. I want to read what Albert Barnes wrote. I don't always agree with him, 
but this is very good when it comes to forbidding to marry. He says, they will depart from the faith through the hypocritical teaching of those who forbid to marry. He says, this does not necessarily mean that they would prohibit marriage altogether, but that it would be a characteristic of the teaching that marriage would be forbidden whether of one class of persons or, or many. They would commend and enjoin celibacy and virginity. They would regard such a state for certain persons as more holy than the married condition and would consider it as so holy that they would absolutely prohibit those who wish to be most holy from entering in to the marriage relation. He says it is needless to say how accurately this applies to the views of the papacy in regard to the comparative purity and advantages of a state of celibacy and to their absolute prohibition of the marriage of the clergy. He says the 10th article of the degree of the Council of Trent in relation to marriage will show the general view of the papacy on the subject. Whosoever shall say that the married state is to be preferred to a state of virginity or celibacy and that it is not better and more blessed to remain in virginity or celibacy than to be joined in marriage, let him be accursed. You realize that's where all those ideas came from? You've got all of these people in the church. You had God wanted elders in His church. Well, before long, they wanted to turn that more into the Roman government. So you've got elders or bishops, and then they would exalt those bishops to maybe over different congregations, and then they would exalt them over different areas, and then they've got archbishops, and, and this thing continued to grow, and it became a religion. And within those people, they prohibited them from being married because they are set aside in a place that is higher than everyone else. And how's that all worked out in that certain religion? Got all kinds of problems, don't you? How many young boys have been molested because of all of these people that have refused to get married and said that all of these things in the name of religion? You realize Paul's talking about all that right here. We don't have time to get into it. He's talking about all of that. Think about all the monasteries and all, all of these monks and, and they are, you know, cannot get married, but yet what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches it's good. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Jesus, or the Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 2, the man's to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That's a good thing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. It's a good thing to marry. It's not a better thing to remain single and to suffer with all of those desires. It's better. And God always intended for people to be married. But Paul says, Timothy, there's people coming and they're going to begin this whole process and they're going to forbid marriage. Not only that, they're going to command to abstain from certain foods. And again, that all ties in with the same thing. They're going to say there's certain fast days. They're going to Say there's certain things you can't eat on certain days and, and they're going to bring all of this in where God never intended for it to be. Now, if there's a conscience condition where it bothers somebody's conscience to eat something, then 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 10, they deal with that. Don't eat it. Romans 14 deals with that. Don't eat it. But you can't say it's wrong for somebody else. We cannot bind where God did not bind. We've got to understand that. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 Paul told the brethren there, you've got to learn not to go beyond 
what is written in your Bible. Do what God says, but don't bind beyond that. Jesus was not in the binding business. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Stop trying to go back to somewhere in the Old Testament to a yoke that was so heavy that nobody could bear it. And that's sometimes what the people wanted to do. And a lot of times the people here, they're going to bring certain things on others and they're trying to bind where God did not bind. Even within the church. We've got well-meaning brethren in the church that they bind all kinds of things. They bind that you've got to have one cup during the Lord's Supper. They bind that you cannot separate to have all of these different Bible classes. They bind that you cannot have a located preacher. They bind that you cannot give to any kind of organization when it comes to an orphan's home or a widow's home. They bind that you cannot help any person that is not a Christian out of the church treasury. Bind, 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 where God did not bind. You know, Paul said it's coming. He said it's coming and you're going to have to be on guard. You're going to have to watch for it. It's there. And brethren, if we don't know what the Word of God is, if we're not, go back to the last chapter, the pillar and the ground of truth, if we're not where it starts and where it's going to stand, what's going to happen? We're going to be in trouble. You know, most of you in here are older. That's good. That's fine. But what about the younger ones? Are they going to be able to stand? Most of you in here that are older, you're going to stand. But what about the ones coming up behind you? Are they going to stand? Or is this thing going to change? That's a good question, right? It's a question we better be answering. It's a question that we better be teaching and instructing and, and making sure people are grounded in the truth so, so the church stays pure like Jesus wants it to be. He wants it to present it to Himself, a, a pure church without spot or without wrinkle. We want to keep it that way as much as we can possibly do. Think about that. We can't go beyond what is written. I know the bells rang during my sermon, so uh, I think it's time to go. I'll finish real quick. He says there's no foods that cannot uh, be restrained anymore. God's changed all that. That was old law stuff. He says receive it with thanksgiving. He says nothing is to be refused. It's sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. It's set apart for our use. God made all those things for us. Don't try to bind things that He didn't bind. I appreciate your attention.